Listen, be consistent, show up, and not just talk about it, but actually show them that you're listening and you're taking their feedback. Mic check one two one two. What's going on? Welcome into another episode of the KZ Community Beats. Tis I, your host Ross Martinez. In the hot seat this week, three amazing women. Thank you so much for joining in from Peoria Grown. To my left, we have Abby Green, the board member of Peoria Grown, and many other duties assigned. How's that feel for that? Feels accurate. <laughs> Your boss is right here. Be careful. Uh, right next to her, we have Julie. You know, I know I'm going to butcher this last name. Can you say it for me? Elia Tumby. Elia Tumby. Mm-hmm. Did I say it right? You did. <gasps> Can I get a healthy cookie? Yes. <laughs> That's Julie, founder of Peoria Grown. And then to our right, Candace Martell, community dietitian of Peoria Grown. Welcome in. How's everybody feeling? Good. Great. Thanks. Feeling great. Yes. And do you work there? Yes. Ah, what are you going to do at the end of work? Um, well, tonight I'm getting pizza. So <gasps> Wait. <laughs> We're talking about healthy eating. Get out of here. <laughs> you can eat all foods. All foods work. Really? Yeah. But it's like moderation? Yes. Hmm, that's my problem. Like, once I see a bag of chips, I'm like, let's go. <laughs> no? It's all about balance. Yes. I'm learning that, like, physically and mentally. Now, all right, let's get started. <laughs> we have Julie, the founder of Peoria Grown. So what made you develop this organization? Well, Peoria Grown came about in 2018. Um, I was involved with a um, leadership project with a local former senator called Senator Chuck Weaver. And um, as part of being part of his leadership group, uh, one of the things that each of us has to do was to come up with a capstone project. And at that time in 2018, um, and I think you had this discussion with uh, Demari Boone, um, two Kroger's closed down in our community and immediately turned those neighborhoods into what we call a food desert. So when I came across that terminology, I was like, food desert, we're like, why is there nothing growing there? You know, really (laughs) totally ignorant about that word. Same. (laughs) And so uh, with our team, we started digging a little bit and find out that when you're in food desert, what it means is that you don't have easy access to healthy, nutritious food, and there's nothing that's available around the neighborhood. Um, So that was pretty concerning to us. So we decided we wanted to tackle that issue. We wanted to see what's going on in what's being done about this. So we took 2018 and went around the community and spoke to people in the community. We spoke to city leaders. We spoke to nonprofit agencies that were working around this issue. But in that whole discussion, two things kept cropping up from a lot of, especially from the community members. Hmm. One of the things we noticed was a lot of the families we spoke to were dealing with health issues. And some of these health issues, um, we found out, could be better managed if they can get access to better quality food, healthy oh, yeah. food. Yeah, which uh, when you look around those neighborhoods, they don't really have them and they don't have access. And now with the Kroger, the two grocery stores that they could access easily, a walk to, is gone. So now a lot of these families have to really travel quite a distance to get to a grocery store. And um, there's really nothing replacing it around those neighborhoods. Uh, they do get convenience stores. They do get a lot of gas stations. But you don't have a healthy choice there for the You most don't part. do. And if you do, it's very <laughs> limited mm-hmm. and they're very pricey. Uh, so that was a big concern for us, you know, like, so what's families going to do? And then the other part is, as I spoke to you about accessibility, you know, a lot of the families we work with don't have transportation. So it's, it's, it's a big um, journey for them to make 
you know, to get to the nearest place to buy their food. And for a lot of them, they would have to end up either carpooling with their friends or if they're mom, they're riding multiple bus. Yeah. To just to get to their nearest store. And that is a huge inconvenience. Because I like to joke all the time, like, oh, my God, I got to one-arm all these bags from my car to my apartment, which is like 10 steps away. Yes. But if you're going on a, a train or a bus, having to do Uber it's a lot more difficult. And it eats into what your little money you have. And a lot of these families in this neighborhood are below the poverty line, and they are very limited in their income. So this has added an additional stress to them. Mm. So what we decided to do is when we looked into that issue, we were predominantly more concerned with the health outcomes that we're seeing. And we were very concerned that because of that health issue, families are not getting the right type of food was concerning to us. So um, what type of health issues? You, you said that a couple times now. Yeah, so, so predominantly in that neighborhoods, when we were looking at the data coming out from the health um, assessment that the, the local health department do with the hospitals, they do that I think every three years or every four years. Not very sure when. I may have to check that for you. But one of the three highest health uh, outcomes for those neighborhoods, especially the south end where we're starting out with, was hypertension, high cholesterol, Mm -hmm. and diabetes. So like a lot of foods, a lot of sodium. With that, and also sugar and stuff like that, the highly processed. But these three um, issues, uh, health issues, could be better managed with access to healthier food. E-families can get to them. The other big piece was, uh, we also noticed, was affordability. Even if they do get access to them, some in order to consume the quantity they need to be able to manage it, um, it can get pricey. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, so, I, I came from Chicago. We yeah. had a Whole Foods out there. Mm-hmm. Amazing organic foods. But the pricings, my God, it would be like half my check goes, goes to... Like three worth, three dollars worth, or three days worth of food. Yeah. So what are the prices here, like in in Peoria? Well, it's not as expensive because we don't have whole fresh, um, <laughs> and and we are not advocating um, just having to eat organic. Mm-hmm. Um, our whole thing is that we just want family to eat health, fresh food. You know, just fresh veggies, fresh fruit doesn't have to be processed items, which is majority of the time that's easy and slightly cheaper and easier to get access to. But fresh items are really hard in those neighborhoods. And if they do get in, like I said, if they get in the convenience stores, which is easy for them to get to because there seems to be a convenience store every block from where they live. If you go down to the south end, but they're usually very expensive. Hmm. You would get maybe like, for example, something you would pay. Like someone was just mentioning to me that a, a couple of apples was three bucks. Whereas you can get the Cheetos for $2. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> be 99 cents. That's or something. Like yeah. But 85% air in it now. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> but anything that's fresh is usually two or three times more expensive if, if, if they have to buy it from those convenience stores rather than if they have a car and they can get up to maybe like an Aldi or somewhere where they can at least get produce at a slightly cheaper price. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, Transportation is the big key there. They don't have the access to get to that place as easily as they usually, you know. Do we know why those food prices are so heightened for good, better food for you? Like at convenience stores? Yeah, like why are the the price differences so different? Like why is it so more expensive for healthier foods? So it could be a couple reasons. Um, You're not buying as much quantity. So like, for example, if you're buying bananas to put in your convenience store, you can't buy as many of those because they don't stay 
fresh for long. So you're not being able to get like bulk pricing that you would get as compared to buying more shelf stable items. Um, there's also just the, you know, the need to kind of, you know, mark things up to be able to sell those items at, mm. at a higher price. Um, and just kind of, you might have different deals with different vendors for products that you sell and you don't get any, um, kickback for selling, you know, bananas oh, <laughs> or, or things like that. I never knew that. Yeah, but I think the other big piece is for business thing is they've realized that their shell space is money. You know, all the things that put, they want things that can turn quickly. And they've seen that, you know, bringing fresh food, you know, unless you have a huge demand, it's not going to be sold as quickly as potato chips. So you're basically paying for the expiration of it. Yes. Time. So and huh. then the, and because they feel that there's no demand there or go um, they charge a little bit more premium for it to be there and because like you said fresh the also the shelf shelf life for fresh items is not very long compared right. to some of the other items. So then because if it doesn't get sold, sold then ultimately it just they gets lose thrown money. away they so that would just money. be the they business lose owner yeah. losing yeah. losing the money. <laughs> so they feel it's better to have their space occupied with more highly processed items or more chips and sodas and things that move quickly. I mean, from a business standpoint, yes. it, it makes sense. We, we can get, we see that. But that, at the end of the day, does provide, a, does make it a, a disservice for the community because, mm -hmm. you know, then you are also changing how people eat in that neighborhood because if that's all the uh, choices that's available, you are also changing how the kids eat because if they walk in a store and that's all they see that's what they're going to pick up and that's what they're going to eat you know yeah. and so um so that's part of the reason why we start pure grown because we were concerned when we go out there and we're like there's no option for these families why you know if you work if you go to other neighborhoods like where i live there's so many places for me to go and get something healthy and affordable i mean affordable to me so the other big piece we will talk about is the affordability. So there's two key barriers in these neighborhoods, access and affordability. And affordability means very different things for me and for a lot of our families. You know, affordable for me could be $10, $15. It's still affordable. It varies between families and Every family. Every families, yes. And especially when you go into depressed neighborhoods like the one that we worked with, that's a big barrier. We have to understand, you know, our families, you know, have very limited income. Um, and some of them are seasonal workers, too. So there's a lot of barriers on how they make their earnings. So that plays a role in what they can afford, what they can eat. But we want to be able to make sure that they should be able to afford it, even though they don't make as much as you and I do. Hmm. They should be able to have that choice to be able to get the good, healthy food that I get access to. Of we just course. have Yeah. But we have never looked at it that way. You know, we have always assumed that, you know, they are making bad choices. They don't want to eat healthy. But the why behind it is as the, equally as important. The why behind it is access and affordability. Hmm. You know, that's the biggest barriers. When people think about why families don't want to eat, and is this two big barriers? It's kind of like conditioning, too, in a way, like economical conditioning. From, I remember the conversation I had with DeMario. Uh -huh. He said, um, this isn't a direct quote because I can't remember off the top of my head, but he feels like communities kind of get conditioned to eat a certain way because you don't have ABC access to it or the ability of knowledge of understanding what the right type of fuel your body gets to. 
absolutely. We've changed how we fed our families. You know, if you look at our emergency food system, so I'm jumping to a little bit to how, you know, we feed people who goes to food banks or food pantries. When you look at what we push out from those, um, you know, from the ban- food banks and food pantries, the majority of the items, you know, are shelf-stable items. But they're also They're non-perishable, but they're also highly processed and high yes. sugar content. And so when you continue to feed that way, and we have been feeding that way for a long time, you do change. Like you see, you you recondition our families on their behavior towards food. And so it's no surprising that now generation after generation who have been relying on those kind of food and those food coming into the house, that their eating behaviors have changed. You know, the, you know, kids seeing those coming in day in, day out, you know, sugar cereal, you know, soda, um, you know, big bikes of marshmallows. So that leads me to a question. When you first began as an organization, did you find it challenging to break that mold of conditioning? Or is someone, I know I can get in a mold like, oh, I want my Frosted Flakes in the morning. How hard is it to get somebody to accept? I mean, we have Candace here, community dietitian of Peoria Grown also. How hard is it, or how difficult? Yeah, how difficult is it to help somebody transition from that unhealthy eating Mm. diet to something a little bit more sustainable? Mm. Abby would go ahead. Okay. Um, Well, during my time with the classes thus far um, this year, I've really seen a lot of. um, I always try to ask the kids like, "What would you like to see?" And a lot of the times, I'll get like these high sugared processed foods because cocoa um, puffs. Yes, you know, and so. I try to utilize that information um, from the kids and what they're saying um, because a lot of the times what the children are saying are what their parents can provide too. So I'm very aware of um, that piece as a family unit, um, but also just kind of taking that and what can I do to make small, subtle alternatives to those um foods that might be more processed that way it's not like such a shock when you know I'm coming in with the cooking class and it's like I've never even been exposed to this before and now you're exposing you know this really expensive food that I may not be able to purchase after this you know after this cooking class today and um, so I really try to consider all of those angles when I prepare for a recipe and prepare for the class um so essentially so like for example use quinoa a lot because that's a very like staple food for you know a dietitian I think that it's like a very like oh this is very healthy let's push these like superfoods um but then it's like how can we like make that um something that families are aware of and know so like instead of quinoa we can still use like rice which is a very um common more common accessed food um and also more more like known food um Mm. so just these very subtle changes yeah and i think it's about small changes it's never our intention to come in overhaul someone's Mm -hmm. diet and say we you're not gonna eat anything processed again Mm because the matter is like we all eat processed Mm -hmm. foods if you eat green beans out of a can that's processed Mm -hmm. if you eat you know a chicken breast that has been frozen that's been processed if you oh, eat yeah. chips uh-huh. you know there's no expectation no one is going to live in a world where you're eating salads and berries yep. and, and nuts 100% of the time and if you are cool but that is never never the expectation so i think when pure grown came into the south side and started having this market families were just so appreciative to have access to food that was actually affordable to them and they could leave with fresh strawberries and milk and eggs and 
salad greens and things that they just never had access to in their community before. And then they would come back with of stories of how they had used different ingredients in recipes that they were preparing for Easter, for example. You know, mm-hmm. they would use... Also helping traditions kind of take a new turn, yes, like so a new twist. I can oh. remember one woman who came in after Easter and was like, look at all of these recipes that I made <laughs> using all produce from Peoria Grown. And it was oh. different things like asparagus. She made a fruit pizza with fresh fruit. So it's just really cool to see how people take the, you know, the produce that we are selling and they prepare it in a way that is desirable for for their families and are incorporating it into the things that they're already doing. Now, how does that feel as individuals, not not just as an organization, but as individuals that I can tell you all have a big passion for this? Especially Julie, I could tell you the few conversations we had. I swear, you're like, let me tell you about X, Y, Z, and this, and this, and I love that because I think being able to be on the outside of what you do and to see you smile and the eyes come up on you and you're like, ooh, wait, they kind of changed something and they were proud about that. So as an individual, how does that feel for each of you to be able to see the impact of what you are trying to implement? actually start growing pun intended um i'll kind of kick off here by saying i think when we actually it is really exciting for me to see people come in and share how you know this market really is actually changing their lives but when you have people come in and say like they actually are seeing medical markers of you know they've gone to their doctor they've gotten labs redrawn Mm -hmm. and like their a1c is down so uh for diabetes and they're seeing that trend downward since yeah. starting to shop yeah. at market 309 that is when i get amped, amped up, up because <laughs> i'm like this is actually changing people's <laughs> health mm-hmm. outcomes and so there's an element that it is great to be involved in the community and providing people with resources that they would not have otherwise but when you actually see this is significantly changing someone's livelihood for me that that really is exciting hmm. abby has that always been a passion for you um so that's something you kind of like lucked into in life? my background actually is in marketing my bachelor's degree is in marketing and i worked professionally in marketing for uh eight ten years and actually this past year i quit that full-time profession have been getting my master's in nutrition and dietetics so oh, within the past five-ish years this really has become a passion for oh. me um, just based on personally how food has changed my life mm-hmm. I wanted to see what I could do to see how it could impact others um, and I got linked up with Julie my fiance works with her and he was like hey this lady that I work with she's doing something with food and you like food so maybe you guys should talk Doc. and we talked and now here we are <laughs> congratulations on getting married well, that's thank amazing you. Thank you. Uh, Julie what about or um, Julie, uh, <laughs> I got confused. Yeah. How about you? How does it feel to see this taking on a new level? Seeing someone as an Abby being able to transition out of a full-time profession into now being full-time with you guys. You know, this journey has been just amazing. I mean, when I, to be honest, Ross, when I started, I had no clue where we were going. <laughs> I just saw the need. I just saw that there has to be something we could do better for our community. 
And um, and we like Abby said, you know, we're not here to try to tell people what to eat, how to eat. They already know. They want to eat the healthy way. They want the access. What we were trying to do is that you said, just meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. They have already told us this is what we want. Mm-hmm. So we took that information and went back as a team and said, how can we help? And that's how all our programming came about, was just listening to our families and community members and just figuring out how to create resources and services to meet them where they are. Um, For me personally, in the last four years, just going to the market and even doing any of our cooking class, hearing how grateful, thankful, and just absolutely thrilled that the family was and is as embraced us, you know, um, and so thankful that they they were so thankful that we heard them that's what i always hear you heard us and you heard what we were asking and you took our feedback and you went and did something with it and so we hear that all the time at the market you know people i have ladies coming up and said you know we're so grateful for you to do this you you're meeting us at a need that we were asking for many years but you know nobody was going about uh, figuring out what, how to how to make it happen and so for us as a team that is the greatest hmm. compliment that we could ever get, and that's the biggest pat in the back I think I can ever get from anybody. So it, it just fuels me, and that's why you say I'm excited, because every week when I get that those kind of feedback, it fuels me to say we're on the right path and we need to continue to do more. Hmm. Abby, from a marketing standpoint, what do you feel is the reason that the connection has been able to grow so strong so quickly within the community? It really is. It's no marketing efforts. And, really? and I will say we are try to be as active as we can on social media, but it is showing up consistently. Huh. Physically being there, and I will say um, Julie's personality and nature is part of the contributing factor to the success because, and you know, she doesn't need to say, you know, she might not say this about herself, but I will. Just her ability to connect with people and want to talk to people and genuinely want to know what is most going to help people and not assume what it is. I think just genuinely listening and connecting, because then that's the kind of thing, if you come to the market and you have a really positive experience, then you tell your friend, you tell your neighbor, and it's and it's a ripple effect, and we oh, can yeah. see how that trends throughout communities. So why some people do come in and say, oh, yeah, I saw you on Facebook. There is some of that, but it's also people telling their friends mm-hmm. who then come. Um, and it's really that genuine connection that I think has helped us grow. And not only does that work for the families we serve who actually come shop at the market, but also volunteers or donors Mm -hmm. or different people who get involved. So how big is the organization? Um, Like in size of staff? Yeah. Team? Four. Right here? (laughs) (laughs) So you three and one more? (laughs) So do you, like, um, volunteer work is big, right? Like you, how can anybody that would like to get involved with you get a hold of you? So there's a couple of ways. So we are very responsive on Instagram and Facebook. So that is a great way to, you know, stay updated on different events that we have. Um, We also have our website, puregrown.com, where you can sign up for our email list for uh, different volunteer opportunities. Our most regular opportunities are on Sundays and Thursdays, which is when we actually have our markets. But we're going to have some different opportunities coming up this summer. We're having different events at the Riverfront Museum. Oh, really? So that'll be a great way for um, families to get plugged in, either to come participate in the program or if they want to 
um, kind of volunteer and get involved in that way if more of our regular events don't work for their schedules. Can we speak on the events you come or are they like Absolutely. Yes. This, right. is not, this, this is, is not, not like down low. No. <laughs> so I can kind of kick it off and then Candace has really sure. been working on this so she can kind of share oh, in nice. the details. Mm-hmm. But um, I love how communal this is right oh, now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, it is very, very communal. You know. We're all very involved, you know, so we talk all the time. Yeah. Um, I can tell, before I was doing all the audio checks, you girls were just in conversation. Yeah. I was like, look at that. No, they we like got each to other. know each other very well. We have. <laughs> yes. We have. Um, but we're lucky to partner with the Peoria Riverfront Museum, so we'll be doing four different events throughout the summer, targeting some health and nutrition and wellness education programs um, targeting different groups so there's one for um, young kids like grade school kids one for high school and college students so get them young and then seniors so really trying to target all different age groups and providing age-appropriate activities to you know make them aware and teach them about you know healthy foods and also different kinds of foods that they might not be exposed to uh, the benefits of physical activity and kind of getting moving and grooving during the can programs. i sign up <laughs> oh yeah yes. Yes. absolutely <laughs> yeah we're, the last event's going to be open you know to anyone not specific to any to any age group is it like jazzercise? Because I'm down. We might have Zumba. Zoom? Yes. yes. I may have to. I may have to go for a few walks before I do some Zumba. Oh, <laughs> so, Candace, what is your involvement with all this? Oh, sure. So, um, when I kind of started a few months ago, we kind of had this idea to collaborate with the uh, museum. So, we've been working on it for some time now. But um, really, just it's a heart health ex- exhibition. So, we're focusing on different heart health activities that we can have. Like, like one food demo, um, like a physical activity, and then kind of get their heart racing a little bit, and then um, just kind of having that for each target audience. So um, for our first one on May 27th, um, from 1 to 3 p.m., we'll have, like, kids do, like, a smoothie bar, and then we have these veggie passports that we've created to kind of expose, as Abby said, to um, cultural fruits and vegetables. Um, Hmm. So things that you may not – things that I haven't even quite heard of. So, like – Hickama sticks, um, star fruit, star love star fruit, kumquat, yeah, grill some um, kumquats up. Yeah. Yes, yes. So um, things like that, and it kind of takes the child through like a traveling expedition like experience. Traveling um, so cultural enrichment while yeah. also benefiting yeah. health conscious. Yes, yes, foods. and it's very family orientated. So parents can try that with their child and kind of get an idea of something that I want to bring into the home. And um, so that was kind of what we were basing our programming off of is um, really focusing on that um, cultural relevance piece and um, and just kind of adapting um, you know kind of exposing to new new foods and then um, with our teenage group we have like a factor myth um, kind of that's more of your social media mm-hmm. um, age, so we're trying to kind of break down some of those barriers that you might find on the internet, like, oh, this is healthy, or is this is true? true? So we're uh, kind of going trivia. to do uh, is like good debunking TikTok Top trends. trends. That you yeah. see, like, do, yes, the yes. myth buster. Like, is keto really for everybody? You know, no. Do you want to go on a keto diet? Is this, you know, all these other stuff? No, I heard keto is... Keto. is keto. We're not, I don't keto. think the keto diet is a topic we should talk about. Yeah. And then you could come to the factor myth program. Yes, you know, yes. just come on in. See, that's the marketing. I see you. That's yeah, the I see marketing you. behind that's... you. That was clever. 
I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so what got you involved with being a dietitian or studying this or making yeah. this uh, a career path for yourself? Um, well, growing up, I also was kind of in like more of a I know there's a different term for it now, food desert. That's mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure what it's called. Food apate. Food apate. So, oh, yeah, um, I never heard that term yeah. before, you DeMario. Know, my family kind of grew up in that area, and I was just very intrigued to know, like, how um, we could get more access to food. And so over time, I just kind of started at a community college, took my general nutrition classes, and then I started to find that um, the artsy dynamic of you know with the cooking and I love to cook so that aspect with like the clinical piece I just kind of tied all that together and um, just started to um, pursue my uh, master's and bachelor's with that and um, and then I found Peoria Grown a few months ago and um, I'm really grateful that I did because food insecurity is something that I'm really passionate about and um, just because it is something that I've personally experienced in, in my own family dynamic. So um, it's, it's a really um, phenomenal organization to be a part of and to have that personal connection with as well. So what is food insecurity? Because for me, I feel like insecurity is like, I don't want to put a bathing suit on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, the 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 how do I say the the way the way to explain it is that is food is basically a people that don't have consistent access to healthy food oh, to lead okay. a healthy lifestyle. That's what food insecurity about. And food apartheid or apartheid, apartheid, apartheid. yeah, that's basically the new word that that's coming out instead of food desert because it's basically trying to say that some of these neighborhoods is based <clears throat> on. Like what Demario is saying, the redlining mm-hmm. uh, was—it's more uh, systematic starvation, re- racism that kind of start yeah. making those neighborhoods the way they are. Instead of it's—it's it's more man-made mm-hmm. than like a food desert that you know something just organically happened. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's so that's why, why the name they've changed. changed. That's why a lot of oh. activists and food justice people are trying to. I'm not trying by using that word because they say when it really comes down to it, when you look at these neighborhoods that are like where there's lack of access, it's more more uh, minority. It's more in a minority. It's much more lower income neighborhood, and it's not done or get, it's been done intentionally. Well, I can attest I, I, to I, that. You know, that's where they are coming from. Because where I was born in Chicago. The the minority neighborhoods were always underfunded. Under, underfunded, disinvested. Um, yeah. Yes. So whereas like downtown Chicago, the loop you'll have the Whole Foods, but in uh, Pilsen you're not going to find that. Mm-hmm. You'll maybe have the corner store that has the beef coming right yes. off the, the cow. Yeah. So you'll I understand that, which is interesting because the apartheid is it? Yeah. It's a very interesting term that I don't really hear that often. Yes. Yes, and um, we're starting to hear that more um, being used now when they talk about neighborhoods. Instead of calling them food desert, they're calling them food apartheid neighborhoods. Um, it's 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 um, they feel that it's for food justice groups that it's much more a um, correct way to explain what's happening in these mm. neighborhoods rather than a food desert. So that way, then people who are working in this arena or in this issue can have a better way of addressing the issue and understanding what's actually happening and that city leaders when they are looking into how to address those issues understand what some of the challenges are 
and make come maybe possibly come up with better solution for the families mm-hmm. and those neighborhoods. Being more spot more, on. Um, yeah, instead of all over the place and thinking that it's not just because there's a grocery store, but being more intentional, like saying there's more than just a grocery store missing. It's the disinvestment in those neighborhoods, mm-hmm. you know, that we might need to reinvest in those neighborhoods and start taking care of them instead of moving businesses out of it and then being mindful of what type of business comes into those neighborhoods ah. so that you see all, yeah, that's that's the it's main. many different so many layers, yes, and those kind of stuff is. I think that's where a lot of these groups are working on. This is trying to make sure that using the right words actually is important because then it can um, makes changes to policies. It makes changes to city leaders on how they address the issue. So I I love that they're using it, and I finally just learned about it and figure out why they're doing it and getting a better grasp around it. And the more we hear it the more I feel it's apt because of what we are seeing ourselves when we go into those neighborhoods that, you know, with that word, maybe then we can get more um, people in that looking at this issue, maybe coming up with better solutions for those families. Hmm. So, yeah. So, but I also want to go back to about what you were saying earlier about, you know, us trying to change people eating. Abby said it right, you know, Pure grown don't want to change, and I think that's another piece that we want. Uh, we're good about doing, and the way we are cha- um, addressing this issue is that we're not coming in to try to tell you you can do better or what you're eating is wrong. You know, we are trying to figure out what are some of those barriers for you to get to what you need to, to get so you can get the choices hmm. you need to. Because most families do want to eat healthy. You know, can I? I truly believe all mothers, if our family who are cooking, would want to give their bring in the best kind of food for their kids. But it's just that if there's no resources available, what can you do? So and, you know, we can provide education. You know, as the Summer months, you know, come about here in central Illinois. It's easier for us to work with different local farmers or growers who we Mm -hmm. either buy produce from or they'll donate things for us. So some people aren't familiar with some of the things that we get, you know, like bok choy Mm -hmm. or really unique looking greens. Swiss charts. Yeah. So we can educate. I have no idea what that is. (laughs) (laughs) See? Neither did I. Point proven. Yeah. we can provide education to people on, hey, you know, if you purchase this or, you know, don't don't even buy it. We'll just give it to you. And here's some recipes mm-hmm. that you could try to prepare this at home just to, you know, expand the level of knowledge people have on how to prepare different foods, find different things that they like. So, you know, as they are, you know, determining like, oh, I want to try new things, they have more things that they can try. It's never us to say, you have to eat this or, you know, or else there is nothing that's that's just not how it works um so we really want to be there to to support people as they are wanting to make more healthful changes but as julie hmm. says we find and you know even and my work as a soon-to-be dietitian maybe candace mm-hmm. can say this too most people know that you should eat healthy you should drink mm-hmm. water and you should exercise most people aren't like what I I should eat healthier? That's not usually the revelation that people have. It's either I don't know how to, I can't eat healthier because it's too expensive, I can't get to healthier food. So it's really finding out what their challenge is. It's not usually people don't know that they should hmm. eat healthier. This leads me to no, go and I go one more thing. Yeah. The other big piece is also cultural sensitivity. You know, that's a big piece that we... Ooh, what do you mean by that? Okay, so, you know, that the, the thing is that a lot of... the 
the community we serve are diverse. We have Hispanic group, we have Latin, uh, we have the black community, we have the white community, we have the Asian community. Every one of us eat very different our diets. I came from Asia, so when I immigrated, I'm always using myself as an example. When I came here, the food here was a shock to my system because I was I wasn't used to eating all these baked meals with potatoes and steak and meat. I was more in steam and rice, and rice is my my diet. You know, that's and, the borderline and, base. Uh, my base that, yeah, yes. that I grew up with. And so coming in, I have to adjust my food intake. I was like, I don't like this, you know. I like the food, my food, and I think my food is healthy. But everyone's like, you know, American eats all salads. The salad is good for you. I'm like, I don't really think salad is that good for you. I think what I cook is good for you. So the same thing when we go out to our community, even as a community dietitian, you know, um, Candace is very aware, you know. We try to make sure we, when we go out there, if we have a, for example, we're going to a community that's mostly Hispanic, we'll make sure that, hey, you know what, what do you have at home? You know, you have tortillas, you have tomatoes, you have cilantro. Well, is there something we can make with that that may be healthier version of it? Especially yeah. if you have a health issue. Okay? Mm. So, if, for example, we work with a community of Hispanic ladies that we have adult women class. And if they are predominantly di- dealing with diabetes or something, then we may take recipes that they love and just give it a healthy twist and say, you know, because of this, you might want to cut down this. And Rather this. than canola oil, the, yeah, grapeseed oil. Yeah, or something like or that. Or ins- little changes. Yeah, instead of just coming in and say, you know what, we're going to come with a whole new recipe. Here, we're going to give you quinoa. You're going to eat Swiss charts. Rather than a culture shock, yeah. you learn how to improve the traditions. Yes, or get the food that they like to eat or ingredients that they already have at home so that they don't have to go and buy a whole host of new things to eat when their food is healthy. You know, mm-hmm. their big part of their food is, is good for them. There may be certain ingredients that may not be good right now because of what they're dealing with. But we shouldn't just go in and take all everything they like to eat and say, nope, now you have to change your diet. All you're going to have to eat oh. this way. And that was one of the big aha moments for us because we worked with a couple of African-American dietitians that I met about four years ago, and they were going out into community, and they were getting a lot of pushback, and they were trying to bring all this, like, the superfood, like the quinoa and the Swiss charts, and then they're wondering why all their patients are not adapting or eating because huh? they were saying, like, we don't like this food. I grew up, I'm Mexican. You bring quinoa what? to my house. I'm like, what? Where's the orange rice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so and the beans. And the beans and all the stuff. And so they were like, no one was making changes to their diet because they were like, this is too much. And now, this this leads me to a question. I don't know if it's, it's something you guys can answer or not, but I know along my health journey, like I've lost 100 pounds and gained 60 back and then lost 40 then gained 60 you know ups and downs have you seen that there's also like a psychological aspect to healthy eating i don't know if you can speak of that at all i don't know if you guys have so i i think definitely yes because food is something that can be very complicated for people because it's not just always something that you eat you know i think that food has been boiled down to something very simple of you know calories in calories Mm -hmm. out well it's not because food is also um sometimes used for comfort for people you know say you just have you know Mm -hmm. a stressful day a you know a loss in the family you know you might turn to food Food. in those situations heartbreak ben's and jerry's exactly Mm -hmm. you know or you know food is very social think Mm -hmm. of getting together with friends to have dinner or a family holiday or table nachos ready Mm -hmm. to go you know so it's not just so much where like 
food is only there to sustain you. That is a, a very large function of food. You know, food is necessary for all of us. But there, it, it's so much more complex than that. Mm-hmm. So like Julie said, I feel like sometimes people can get on, that's kind of called like a yo-yo diet yes. where, you know, you kind of have those yes. those ups and downs. <laughs> it's trying to help people find, you know, sustainable changes where you might not lose 100 pounds fast as you would as compared to if you go on a more restrictive diet but how can you you know find small changes to make that you can build on over time so that you're kind of if weight loss is your goal for example you might see sustainable weight loss but also build sustainable habits so not only would you be seeing weight loss but you might feel you know have more mental clarity or you might have more energy or you might sleep better you know so finding different different factors because there is some element of say you you know again you know using your example of weight loss you lose a bunch of weight you gain it back i'm sure that doesn't make you feel great oh no so you know it's it's also that element of does that motivate someone does that discourage someone um so it's a very complex situation you know food can be very complex for a lot of people and their relationship with food and how, you know, they were raised with food and a lot of different things. This leads me to asking Candace a question because we've mentioned the cooking classes mm-hmm. on and off this uh-huh. entire interview. So take me a little bit more about what happens in these classes, how you instruct them, type of recipes you use. Just give me the whole shebanga bang in other words about sure, what it is sure um so our cooking classes are mostly focused on kids and teenage groups right now um and we generally hold like a class of seven that way it's more quality um we can kind of contain the class better um with that respect and then we typically find recipes based on um the cultural relevance of course as well as what we know that our demographic is so really knowing your target audience is really important um so really knowing what kinds of foods that they often see in their homes um and then also how can we make those a little bit healthier and still expose them to new things that they may not have seen before um specifically fresh produce our main goal is to create access to fresh produce into these homes um and so um what we'll do is we'll purchase the ingredients for our class but we'll also purchase enough for the students to take home the recipe and also have an opportunity to um, recreate that on their own as well so it's Um, really meeting them where they are yes yes and um they're you know we also have like a nutritional analysis piece too so we kind of break down like the calories and just kind of um show them like this is what is in this you know one serving of you know this recipe um but Recently, we've made a lot of different um, cultural foods. Um, We've made a lot of African-American foods and um, Hispanic foods because that's a lot of our target audience. Um, So we've made, like, huevos rancheros, um, jollof rice. uh, You talk about language. Yes, yes. (laughs) Meet um, them where they like to eat. Yes. Because we were talking before, I'm like, oh, well, I like to eat this you're like well all moderation ross all <laughs> moderation yes. so is that what it is is learning how to cook it a little bit more healthy with moderation with intake i would say so with children that's not as much of a focus like calories and things like that aren't necessarily a big focus because you know you don't want to teach your children at a young age to like be so restrictive you want them to be very open-minded and um so i think at this age it's more so just about the exposure to different foods that they will have access to that are healthy and nutritious and um, just knowing that that's being brought into the homes and um, 
creating that, you know, eliminating some of the barriers to obtaining that access to that food is really um, the focus of these classes. So um, we go in and we arrive, you know, early to kind of prepare. We have like cutting boards. It's a very interactive class. It's not just like, okay, we're teaching and then the kids sit down and listen. They're really involved, hands-on. It's a full interactive course. Yes, yes. And and we do that um, with the Dream Center here, the Arting Center, Salvation Army, um, a lot of the after-school programs here like Glen Oak, Lincoln. Um, So we've definitely um, been exposed to many different places since I first started. Um, so I'm very, very grateful to be in this position. And uh, yes, it's a blessing. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I think that brings me back kind of full circle to what we initially started talking about, where I saw the pictures of the market, whereas you're trying to meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit more, Julie, if you can, about the actual market, that event, okay. what you do. So Market 309 is the name of our market, and it started three years ago, and the first market was in January 2021 and the South End. And the idea came about was during um, the height of COVID in 2020, uh, we were very concerned because we, when COVID hit, we were like, oh, my gosh, you know, I was like, immune system. The whole, the whole thing is like, how is our family's immune system? Is, is, is this disease going to hit the immune system? If they're not healthy, are they going to get, you know, more sick from it? So um, also it was like in, uh, not retort, but in In response to what? Response. Yeah. So <gasps> it's really, so we were very quick to change. So when we heard COVID hit, um, the very next week, um, we had to shut down all our cooking classes because by then they were like, nobody can be in Reynolds. Everybody was face out. We're not sure what we're dealing with. Yeah. But we were very concerned. We were like, okay, now they were saying all the kids are going to be at home. They're not going to school. And we were very concerned about these kids because we were used to seeing them in our cooking class and getting food. So we're like, well, if they're going to be stuck at home. They're going to need more food. <laughs> and so within a week of COVID hitting, um, we actually started bagging our fruit bags. So what we did is we took a Ziploc gallon bag. We filled it out with as much fruit as possible. So maybe like two bananas, three oranges, two apples, whatever we can fit into a Ziploc gallon. And then we started going to schools that were becoming the drop-off for lunch for schools, for kids. They were able to come and get free lunches during COVID. Yeah. There were different schools that was des- uh, um, designated as food hubs. So we would go to one of these schools, and I think it was Glen Oak that we started with, and we said, here's 100 bag of fruits. So every kid that came up to take their lunch, can you give them a bag of fruits? And we did that. We thought, okay, you know, something to give the kids health, something healthy to eat, something to keep them, you know, good snack. We didn't realize with one school, the word started spreading. And the next thing we know, we got calls and said, hey, could we get another 200 bags? And then one school after another started calling us. So we started bagging one 100 bag. Within a less than a month, we were bagging three times a week. And then the height of COVID, we ended up from giving out over 8,000 bags of... I mean, we, we were in a little kitchen at Hy-Vee. And then we ended up going to a church... Yeah. To bag because we ran out of space because we were asking more volunteers because the kids were so excited with that fruit bag. They loved it. And so we started doing that during COVID. And then another thing we started during COVID was um, a pop-up produce. So what happened would be is I would fill up my car trunk with fresh veggies, another volunteer car trunk with fresh fruit. And every Thursday night after work, we would drive to different neighborhoods that considered food desert. So we would drive to, like, Taft Home, the Pure Housing Authority, or Harrison Homes. And we'll drive right into the parking lot, pop our trunk, and tell the families, hey, come and get whatever you want from our car trunk. It's for free. 
And it was during those pop-up that I sat with a lot of the families and Abby Sale, I cannot stop talking. <laughs> so That's a good thing. That's I started sitting thing. down and talking to all the moms and dad that would come in. And one of the things we kept hearing was a lot of the families were saying, you know, we would love to be able to afford to buy these food ourselves. We would love to be able to get access to this easy because, you know, but as you can see, our neighborhood, there's nothing like that. So that stayed with me um, throughout the whole fall of 2020. When I then in November 2020, I went back to our board and said, hey, how crazy would it be if we start a farmer's market? (laughs) And I said, you know, families are asking. They want to buy. And I said, how would it would it be possible? And our team was like, sure. I mean, we can do some small version of it if we can find a place that family can get to us. And so we started talking around um, with different agency and community um, members. And someone linked us up to the Peoria Park District. And the Park District's like, we have community centers in the South End. And so this community center sits empty on the weekend. We're like, oh, maybe that could be a good location. So the other step we did was we went back to the community and said, okay, if we have a market like that, two questions. What time of the day that you would like us to have the market? Because we want to meet them where it is. What's convenient for them? Not what's convenient for our team. And second is, what's the price point? You know, what is it are you willing to pay for a head of cabbage, for a bag of lettuce, for a box of blueberries, strawberries? You know, and what other things would you like us to bring into the market? So we did a survey, we got the results, and survey came out, majority of people wanted to be able to shop on Sunday morning. They gave us a quick list of what are the produce that they liked. And so in January of 2021, we officially launched Market 309. We started with five produce, five fruit, (laughs) and we sold out. (laughs) And it was just word of mouth. It was going door to door, dropping flyers in the neighborhood, but we sold out. So the following week, we put another notice again and said, what else would you like us to bring? And three years later, we're carrying, what, 70 different type of produce, three locations, and... Yeah, and it's really neat, the relationships that we have built with customers, because they'll be like, hey, we want to try grapefruit. And so we'll just order some grapefruit, and then people will buy it. Or like, oh, can we get some pomegranates? So then we'll bring it in. So it's like how the market started off with kind of seeing what... we got the feedback of what people wanted to buy and now they're like hey can we get parsley you know and so we just bring it in so we can be very nimble in how we order um and really take that customer feedback really seriously and implement it on a weekly basis it's it's pretty much the purest form of on-street marketing when you think about it because you're there with the customers oh yeah one of my favorite examples is after you know after COVID, supply chain issues have been a bit of mm-hmm. a disaster. And there was one week, you know, the market oh, is yes. on Sunday mornings. <laughs> yes. And we order a, the bulk of our produce from Hy-Vee. And they had a logistics issue where their truck wasn't going to get here in time to get us the delivery that we needed. So, like, the board all divided up. And we went to Aldi, Kroger, and Hy-Vee, and, like, oh, individually wow. shopped and then took all of that produce from different <laughs> grocery stores to the south end, which I think just really paints the picture of 
the disparity that we see on that end of town where it was just a group of people physically taking food from one end of town to the other. But it was just so funny because it was like Sunday morning and like phones were lighting up like, let's go. And we all just band together to make it happen because part of it is, is building trust with those customers saying, we're going to be here every week. We we said we're going to be here and we're going to be here. Mm -hmm. And so we showed up with the food purchased from other grocery stores for people to buy. And and we built that trust with the community where they feel that they have a stake in this market. They feel they own the market in which, which they are. They are the owners of the market and they know that their feedback is taken seriously and whatever they tell us, we will try our darndest to make it happen. <laughs> and if we can't, we are very transparent in explaining why we can't do certain things. But they know that their information, the, hmm. the, the feedback they give us is crucial. That that's how the, the market is, how even to the how we lay out, mm-hmm. to the way we... How people are, uh, like the order of purchase, purchase. there's been times because... We have gotten better at like our inventory management now, yep. but before things would sell out fast, so there'd kind of be a rush. So people mm-hmm. said like, should we take a number? So we tried to take Big a number, number system. They didn't like, like taking a number. <laughs> so then we've, we've tried a bunch of different things and we've now found a system that works really well that is you know very fair for all of the customers that we do serve with. Um, seniors and individuals with disabilities and pregnant women get to start shopping a little bit earlier so they can move more easily and then the market opens up to everyone but we we didn't decide that that was based on feedback they decided from from the shoppers this it's a little bittersweet the sweet aspect is what you do this is amazing because it, it ties back to saying my grandmother used to raise me on si no tienes ganas no vas a ganar if you don't have the will you won't succeed and this shows community members that give a damn about the community few and far between in this board can get up early go do this why can't people that are in charge to do this can't and you don't have to say anything about that I can, <laughs> I can stand on that on my you can, own you can I'll, stand, I'll stand on that ledge yes. on my own because yes. as, a, as a voice of this community I find that like, it's my job to find these stories, mm-hmm. to help the dialogue push forward to maybe our elected officials. Like, yo, if they can do this, what's up? Yeah. District 150 has been uh, redlining for how long now? Oh, years now, decades now. I think it goes back to what Julie says. It is what is best for, you know, not just the customer, but the communities we serve. It's really what's best for them. It's not what's best for, for Abby us. or Julie or Candace mm-hmm. or anyone else on the board mm-hmm. or our volunteers. We're here to um, serve with and alongside different members of our community. It's it's not what's best for my schedule because mm-hmm. I have it easy. I live in central Peoria. Mm-hmm. Within three minutes, I can drive to like five different grocery yeah. stores yeah. from yeah. my house. You know, there's much. a bunch of different restaurants with very healthy options. Mm-hmm. So. Convenience is not a, a problem for me. You know, I have my own car. Mm-hmm. I have a job. You know, all of those mm-hmm. things. So it's it's really working for the people and advocating for the people in mm-hmm. our community who don't have access to the things that so many people do that they take for granted. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing I've learned in this whole journey with our community is that people always assume mm-hmm. that when you come from those neighborhoods, you don't know what you want. You know, you we know better. Yeah. You don't really know what you... They know exactly what they want. All we have to do is listen. <laughs> you know, that's the key. 
Yeah. Listen, <laughs> they they are smart. They had to navigate this whole lifestyle that they have. I I was just talking to someone recently. I said, I would if someone put me in the that same shoe as some of our families. I don't think I last because I don't know how to survive. I don't know how to navigate. But they had to. With all these things not available to them, somehow they have thrived through it and they made it. And yet, we we feel that they have their their yeah insights, their opinion. It it doesn't make sense that what they tell us is not correct, or they don't know what they need when they actually know exactly what they need. You know, they all know. All we got to do is listen. Yeah, we have to listen. Listen and be consistent. Listen, be consistent. Show up and not just talk about it, but actually show them that you're listening and you're taking their feedback. And I think that's the key thing they've seen in Pure Grown is that they've seen every board members that come in and any feedback they've given us that we actually took it and then we actually did something with it. And they actually see it being implemented. <laughs> and even if they're not implemented, they actually can get feedback from us and know why we didn't do it. So they know they're part of the decision making. A good example is the one that Abby just put out a post. We had to increase some of our prices because we've been telling our family it's been a big challenge. You know, food costs have gone higher. So you can imagine how much our families are struggling. Yeah. You know, prior when we started this, they were already struggling. Now with food costs the way it is, it's it's dire now for They've them. They've taken a big hike. They up. have taken a big hit. And so they were the one that came up to me and said, Julie, you need to increase your prices. They came to me. Your consumer said, yes. hey, we're kind of taking you for a quick rickroll. Like. Yeah, I know. And I was like, okay. And not only once, multiple times, multiple people. And I was like, you know what? You're right. We have to, you know, and I, I, and I was, was very nice. And I said, you know, we were trying really hard not to increase because we know what a challenge it's going to, it's been for them this last couple of months. And so we're really trying to keep it at that price so that we can continue to give them what they need. But when they keep coming to us and we had to take a hard look at like, yeah, you know, we, we are going to have a lot of issue if we don't start um, bridging that gap and loss that we're getting because how much food has cost for us. So we just made an announcement that we're going up and our families have no problem. They're like, that's okay. That's still meeting us where we are at. It's still affordable. And it's going to keep you going. So just to put that into picture, all the items that we sell are priced yeah. between one and four dollars. So nothing oh, is that's over four dollars. Our most expensive item would be four dollars for like a large bag of grapes, grapes. <clears throat> which at your, you know, Kroger or Hy-Vee would would probably be significantly more eight, than eight that. Eight to nine dollars. Yeah. yeah. So I just bought some yesterday. I know. <laughs> yeah. So we really try to. When we say affordable, we mean not what's affordable in our terms, mm-hmm. but what is affordable for the families that we are are serving. So even with price increases, we're, we're capped at $4 an item. Yeah. Because you care about the community. We do, and because that's what they told us is affordable to them. And we want to keep our word because that's the, that's the price cap for them. You know, anything more is going to be very hard for them to stretch the money. And then we do other things, too. We have a little punch card. So we think of different ways to help our families stretch their dollar. So we have a little punch card. If they come six times, they get $5 off. <laughs> you know, for a lot of families, that's a lot. $5 is five different produce yeah. in, our mar- in our market. You can five different items. Fruit and salad. Yeah, you can buy. <laughs> you have to come to the market, and you see people going out with bags, and they spend fifteen bucks. 
So where's the market? So we have one at Tree Wind Park, which is with the Park District, and that's in the south end of Peoria, and that's every Sunday from 11.30 to 1. And then we have one tomorrow on Thursday night in downtown Peoria at the Peoria Women's Club. Is and that every Thursday? Every Thursday from 6 to 7. Uh, so, yeah, because this episode will come out on a Wednesday. So, yeah, the next day, go they, get your fruits. Yeah, they should come get, get their fruits. And if you pay with your, and we accept link card. So if they pay with your link, which oh. is great, because that was the reason we started too. We wanted to uh, uh, help families that really, you know, with link that wants to stretch their dollars. So if you pay with your link card, we also have a program called the Link Match, where every dollar will match you up. So if they spend $10, we give them $10 in cash vouchers that they can turn around and buy veggies or keep it to when they need it. I so these are all these. That's amazing. These are all the little things we're trying every which way we can to help our families be able to buy more, eat more, consume more. Because we are concerned, you know, this health issue coming up from these neighborhoods are no joke. They are continuing to rise, and it's all stemmed from just accessibility and affordability. No, I think your success is going to heavily rely on the humanity aspect that you're instilling into the community. Honestly, because it feels like from everything you're saying and pictures I've seen on on Facebook, it just seems like you're providing humanity in a moment where everybody's looked at as a number or a Mm -hmm. business proposition or what can I get from you? Where it's like, take. Yeah. It's easy accessible here. Yes. These are people, you know, we've built relationships with. These are people with names and faces, not your number, you know, one, two, nine in the system. You're you're a real person Mm -hmm. and so that makes a huge difference on how I think people think about people when you know it's a name and a face Mm -hmm. and someone that you've developed a relationship with as opposed to this is just someone who's Mm -hmm. coming up as a just just another person Mm -hmm. and there's so much empowerment and dignity you know we don't we don't cue them they don't cue up we we have chairs all around the market so when they come the market now has become like a community meeting space Families are meeting each other and saying, I'll see you next Sunday. And they're getting to know their neighbors. I didn't know you live a block from me. And so they're getting to know. It's become a community center. Just by purely coming every Sunday, families are getting to know each other again. When they were so, you know, in their own homes and doing it. But the market has brought them all together. And we love that. So we were very adamant. No queuing, no checking of requirements. You don't need to show proof of anything. If you need the food and you live in this district, we're going to take your word. That's what you are. And you're going to need it. You're welcome to it. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a huge, it's a, it's a big community gathering every Sunday with or every the, Thursday night. With that, I'm going to transition to my last two questions. Yes. One's business and one's personal, all right? So business, for anybody that like to get involved, uh, participate, even pop up at the events, how can they find more information to do any of that? Um, I would follow us on Facebook or Instagram. You can search Peoria Grown. You can visit our website, peoriagrown.com. And there, if you want to get more involved, is our email address and ways you can get directly connected with us um, through volunteering, if you are able to make a financial gift, or just getting involved in our programs or wanting to stop by to see what we're about. All right. Then I'm going to ask this question first to Candace, then to Abby, then to Julie. I ask this, everybody that steps into the hot seat, sits down, has this dialogue with me. When your story is said and done, how would you like somebody to remember you and the part you play? Specifically with Peoria Grown. How would you like to be remembered with your participation in it? And what would you like people to get from it? Um, I'd like people to get the sincerity and the 
um, genuine piece of it, um, that it is about, as you said, humility within the community. It's, um, it's all about the people that we serve and knowing those people and building those friendships with them that, that trust, um, and having that be a, a reflection of Peoria Grown as an organization and, um, not really making it about who I am or, you know, but who they are and have, letting them have their voice. Um, yes. Abby, what you got for me? Oh, this is a really loaded yeah, question. question. Wow, I wish they I call me the Mexican Oprah for a reason. Yeah, I, I wish know. I would have had a second out. to think about this. <laughs> I I don't so much think about this as like Abby. I don't think there's anything specifically that I care if people would remember about me. I hope that it is the impact as an organization that we are making. It's that the people that we serve feel seen they feel heard they feel taken care of they feel like they are a part of it they feel like their life is better because of the work that we did it's not actually about who is doing the work it's the work that is done that's my hope i'm gonna switch it up for you i'm gonna change it up i'm gonna keep you on your toes (laughs) julie from the moment the potential of having to have your own project was put on your plate to now having full-time members, to having a community that is growing with you, that actively wants to see you, to have the community corner, as you kind of coined it. How's that make you feel, seeing this grow with the pun intended? You know, I, Ross, I didn't expect it to grow. I did not have any vision or grandiose idea where it was going to be anywhere in the scale. I started because I wanted to make something better. I wanted to see our community get healthy. Um, it's not for me. Was like Abby said, you know, it's, I I want the work to speak for itself. I want the families to remember the services, the resources that Puregrim brought. Not who I am. I'm not trying to leave a legacy behind. That was not any part of the vision. But it's just that we saw a need. And we are grateful that we could be of service and that we could be of help to a community. And that's what I'm hoping that we can continue to do, that we continue to be, like Abby said, continue to see and hear our community and put them first and foremost in everything we do and that we can continue to serve them to the best of our abilities. All right. That's been another episode of the KZ Community Beats. I'm your host, Ross Martinez. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Peoria Grown here. Abby Green. Julie. Elijah Tomby. I got to practice that. Uh, next time I have you out. And Candace Martell, thank you guys so much for coming by. Uh, we got a lot more episodes for you to go check out. A lot more different perspectives of amazing people pouring back into our community. And if you don't, I have Santa Claus's personal number. Let them know that you are not supportive. I'm just playing. Love you. Bye.